the Missional Life Podcast, inspiring kingdom-minded believers around the world to live the mission of God in their lives. All right, welcome back to the Mission Life Podcast. Today we are at the NRB Convention in Dallas, Texas. We're sitting here with Phil Cook from Cook Media, and he has worked with clients such as Walt Disney, DreamWorks, USA Networks, Joel Osteen, Joyce Myers, the Museum of the Bible, and the list goes on. Phil, what an honor yes, to spend well, time oh, with you today. Oh, this is thrilled. I'm thrilled to be here. This will be fun. Phil, you're an expert in digital media. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been around a long time, so I've learned a few things over the years. And you've recently released a book called Maximize Your Influence, How to Make Digital Media Work for Your Church, Your Ministry, and You. So, Phil, let's yep. kind of flip the script. Let's back into this a little. With all your experience in media, what would you say are the top things churches, ministries, and people are doing wrong with their social media? <laughs> I don't think we have enough time on the podcast to go into that. They're doing a lot of things. Well, you know, it's interesting that when COVID happened and churches were shut down, so many churches were caught really blindsided. They had never, mm. you know, we've been working with churches. Our team at Cook Media Group has been working with churches for years on live streaming and television and video and things. But so many pastors were just surprised and shocked and they didn't know what to do. And I thought, you know, I, I thought we wouldn't hear from any churches for a long time, but suddenly our phones lit up. People had questions about what do we do? And I actually wrote the book during the shutdown to try to help pastors understand how we emerge from this thing. Because I think the COVID shutdown, the COVID-19 church lockdown changed the way churches look at media and communication completely. Uh, so many people thought I had pastors that would come up to me and say, Phil, I don't mind live streaming my services, but that's not real ministry. Let me tell you, they changed their tune when that was mm -hmm. all they had. That was it. And so we started working with churches all over the country and working with them, helping them. I did a lot of Zoom teachings. I did a Zoom teaching for 200 pastors across Russia, 165 pastors in South America, about 60 pastors in Brazil and Portugal and Angola. And I even did, it was one interesting thing, we did a Zoom training for 50 pastors during COVID that were launching churches. They were planting churches 100% online. No building, no gathering, nothing. They were just going to plant online churches. So what's interesting is just how much pastors started to realize, hey, this online thing matters. Right? Suddenly, you know, I thought my website was okay. I thought social media was something you have fun with. But the truth is, it's a big part of media strategy and ministry strategy going into the 21st century. So I just had a passion to create a book that would really be a resource to help pastors and ministry leaders understand. Because I'll tell you, they do not teach you communication and media in seminary. And so pastors, they don't, they, bless their heart, they, they, they know how to preach and manage a church, but they really struggle when it comes to how do I get my message out beyond that? And we live in a digital world and we have to be able to speak that language. Great. When you look at different churches and ministries, people that are doing social media well. Sure. Give us some examples of people that are doing it well or some or that people can kind of look to and say, wow, like well, those are some. Those That's are some a great question. Great question. And, and the truth is, from the time of the shutdown, we discovered that pastors who embraced digital media have the, are the ones that have prospered and done the best over, over this time. And the ones that fought it, uh, you know, I had I saw a social media post by a pastor saying, now I'm going to be at the church on Tuesday afternoon, and if you'd like to drive by and drop off a check, we would really be grateful for your support. <laughs> and I thought, that guy has no online capability of taking up an offering or getting, you know, getting financial support for people. He's going to get creamed. He's going to get killed. And, uh, but churches that embraced it, for instance, I, I, I have a friend who pastors an African-American church in Montgomery, Alabama. 
he called about two or three months in and he said, we have 900 members, but uh, we had before the shutdown, we had eight subscribers to our YouTube channel. Now we have 23,000 subscribers. He wow. said every week, 30,000, 30 to 40,000 people watch my live stream. He said 1.5 million people have seen my Easter message. He said, I feel, feel guilty about saying this because I'm a pastor, but I really have no desire to go back to the building. We're, we're ministering to more people and making a bigger impact online than we've ever made. So churches that really understood that. Now, here's the deal. Most pastors will kick back and say, but what about community? We have to be together. And I, I totally get that. I totally agree. Although the whole fellowship thing is interesting. If you're 40 years young, oh, if you're 40 years old or younger, fellowship is online. You don't have to be together physically to be have a community however i understand the idea that church needs to happen there are many things that you need to do in a church so it's not a either or thing it's really a both and thing we need to build vital churches but at the same time understand we need to speak the language of the culture so churches that have done well are churches that a live streamed and really took it seriously we, we've learned a lot of things over the live stream for instance we found that you can't just set up a camera in front of your pulpit and expect to capture that on live stream and make it effective it has to be really designed for the platform and the medium that you're using uh, so many people just just would hang a camera from the balcony and expect to capture a service and expect that to be meaningful and it's just not at all online if you're looking at something on a phone or a computer you need to have a close-up uh, you know otherwise it's a, it's a little image already and if you're shooting a wide shot the pastor is going to be a dot so you get no emotional you don't connect with him emotionally his facial expressions you don't see so there's little techniques like that that we use and some of our churches that we've worked with we managed to tweak the live stream so so well that they decided the community needs to see this. So we had a church that we work with in New Orleans, another in Honolulu, another one in Tulsa, actually go on local television during the shutdown. And they said, we want our community to see what we're doing here. And so it's been super successful for them. So I think the key with being, you know, embracing digital media is understand that every platform is a little different. What you do in the pulpit isn't necessarily going to work in a live stream or in a short video or in a social media post. I think we also have to understand that social media is great for family and friends and having fun, but at the same time, you can use it very strategically to share your faith, share the gospel online. So I, I told pastors quite a bit, your, your weekly live stream is only the beginning. You need to be connecting with your congregation during the week on Instagram Live, Facebook Live, things like that, and, and making those kind of connections all the time. It makes a big, big difference. So the bottom line is, take it seriously. And even if you're a little church, I discovered even if you've got a church of 20 people or 50 people, you could still be really effective online. You don't have to have a lot of cameras. You don't have to have big lighting like a big mega church. You can do remarkable things. In fact, it's funny, there are two film festivals in the United States just for feature films shot on iPhones. So if you can, if Hollywood is now shooting feature films on iPhones, mm. let me tell you, you don't need a big camera. You don't need a lot of lighting gear. You can do something with a phone in your pocket that's really quite remarkable. Yeah. Love it. Can you dive a little bit deeper for, you know, the church that's just sure. considering a live stream? Can you give them a couple, you know, more tactical, a couple Absolutely. tactical things? Like, you know, you, you said a couple angles but are, is there software or what, what would you recommend yeah. how 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 do they live stream effectively well it's interesting there are three main live stream platforms one is youtube one is facebook and the other is life church in oklahoma city craig rochelle's church created a program called the church online Pla uh, church online platform and it's free you can download it from their 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 website and 
you can put it on your own web page at your church. And what we've discovered is you'll probably get more people viewing your live stream on YouTube or more people viewing it on Facebook. However, people that watch on your website are more engaged and they'll stay longer, which is kind of interesting to me. And I think a lot of it has to do with they're already on your website, so they're seeing all the other activities you're doing. They get to see other aspects of the church. Uh, your donate button is right there. If they, they want to support you financially, there's so many other things. So I always encourage people, number one, start with your website. Make sure your live stream is available there. And you can use programs like the church online platform from Life Church. It's totally free, and it plugs into your website real easily. The second thing I would do is make it easy to find. You know, during the during the church shutdown, I would every Sunday I would pull up about ten, maybe fifteen different church live streams just to see how people were doing out there. And I was shocked at how hard it was to find a church's live stream. You go to their website and you're clicking page after page after page after page to find the stupid live stream. Hello, this is the most important thing you're doing right now. There's nothing more important when the church is shut down than your live stream. Put it on the homepage. Make it easy to find. I mean, come on, let's think about this. And so little things like that are really, really important. The other thing to think about with a live stream is because it's online, a lot of people will tune in early. So they want to make sure they're there. They want to make sure they're at the right website and they've got the right link and it's working okay. And we found out people will tune in as much as 10, 15, even 20 minutes early. So instead of just having a countdown clock or a static shot of your building, let's have a host. Let's do a little pre-program on there. Maybe the pastor's wife or husband or some staff member from the church or it could be anyone. Maybe somebody from the youth group kind of host a pre-program and you could talk about activities in the church, news, updates, you could pray for people. I mean, you could do a little ministry time in that 10, 15 minutes before the service even starts. So little things like that. We also discovered for the record that um, audiences, viewers tend to be kind of transient. They're in and out during the worship and they really plug in during the message. So we've been urging a lot of our clients and a lot of churches that we work with Maybe make the worship set a little shorter than normal. Maybe one, two songs. Go to the message sooner and people really kind of latch on and stay locked in sooner. And if you want to do more worship, maybe do it at the end of the message. It's a good example of the fact that what works in the pulpit may not always work. You know, when your congregation is trapped in that pew and they can't get up and just leave any time, that's not the same as home because at home I can get up, I can go get a bowl of cereal, I can go get dressed, I can play with my kids. There's a lot of distractions at home. So we have to think of what will engage people quicker and really grab them be a hook so we get them to watch longer. I think that's a really, really important issue. And, and one thing I'd say, one last thing I'd say is about a church website in general is understand that your church website is not for your congregation. Trust me, your congregation knows where the church is. They know who the pastor is. They know what time the service starts. They know when your Christmas pageant's coming up. Your church members never go to your website. The people that go to your website are people who have never been there before. They're looking for information. So my advice to churches around the country is, what is it that needs to go on your website that would totally engage a non-believer or maybe a visitor and make them want to come? So I would completely retool a church website and design it strictly for somebody who's knows, who knows nothing about the church and would be compelling in a way that would make them think, wow, I need to visit that place. A lot of stuff going on there. That is the key to making a successful church website. Love Sorry, it. I'm rambling and I didn't mean to. No, <laughs> no, those, that's great. Man. Great. Help, that's gold. Helpful information. Yeah. <laughs> gold. Mm-hmm. You know, let's let's kind of look at it a little bit differently. Sure. You know, we've talked about churches. What yeah. about for the what about for a ministry that wants to raise awareness about their, you know, their their, Absolutely. their mission? 
or let's talk about like an artist, a yeah. musician, or an, an author that wants to raise awareness of what they're doing. Or would it be the same kind of tools, or what would you say to yeah. that person? Well, that's a great point, and, and I, I very often I'll teach directors or producers in Hollywood, or I'll, I'll Christians who feel called to go to the industry or something like that, and whether you're a business leader or an artist or a ministry leader, whatever, we, we sometimes don't realize the tools that we can have individually to get our story out there. If God's called you to share a message with the world, how do we get it out there? So I think the first, the place I always tell people to start is with social media. It's like I said before, so many people use social media for friends, family, having fun and stuff. But the truth is social media is an insanely powerful tool for getting your message out there. We live in a world today where a housewife in Des Moines can bring down a major corporation just from the momentum they build over social media. In Hollywood, we have we have what we call Q-scores. Q-scores are an algorithm, uh, the Nielsen Rating Company that rates primetime TV shows, they put together a thing called Q-scores and it's an algorithm of box office and merchandising and social media following that they rate, in, a, in essence, they rate celebrities. And so the idea is if I'm gonna make a movie and spend $30 million to get Matt Damon to be in my movie, I wanna make sure he has a high Q-score. I wanna make sure people really know this guy, they like him, he's popular, he's successful. So every year they release what they call the Q scores, which is the top 20 most influential celebrities in Hollywood. Well, a couple years ago, when they released the Q scores, it shocked everybody because out of the top 20, the top seven most influential celebrities were YouTube stars. Now, these are people that produce five minute weekly programs, probably on an iPhone in their parents' basement or a spare bedroom. And yet some of them have 60, 70, 80 million followers and subscribers. So suddenly they're the most influential people in Hollywood. So as a ministry leader, as an artist, as someone who's called to share your message to the world, we sometimes forget that having an effective YouTube channel, using social media in a real strategic way can generate a lot more excitement and interest than we think. And the key is having something to say. And of course, there's nothing more important to say than the gospel, but uh, having something to say about what God's, what God's called you to do is absolutely critical. So I think start with social media. And by the way, start with a good, uh, a good, pay, uh, a good photo. You know, most people's Twitter photo or their Instagram photo or their Facebook photo is horrible. It's just horrible. You know, get a good close-up, get a nice photo, get a good headshot. Then think about your bio, your social media bio. Does your social media bio really say who you are, what you're called to do, what your vision is? I mean, I'd want, I want somebody to look at my bio, instantly know what I do. Mm. And that, otherwise, I, I saw a guy came to me the other day and said, Phil, I really want to be a social media expert. I want to be a professional. And so I looked at his Instagram feed and his picture was a picture of a, ki a kitten. And I said, so what does that say about you being a social media expert? Zero. And then his bio was something like, well, I like, I like to cruise on uh, cruise liners. I like summer at the beach. And I'm thinking, what does that say about your expertise in social media? Start thinking about your social media bio, your photo, the post that you do in terms of what God's called you to do or what you feel like your, your vision is for your life. Let me tell you, that's going to be a much more powerful way to share your vision than what you could possibly think. Hmm. What would you say to those people who think, oh, I want to do more on social media, sure. but I want to do it well and I don't want it to, you know, I want to represent God in the kingdom sure. and I don't want it to point, I don't want it to appear selfish. What would you say to those people? Well, you can't really point somebody to God's <laughs> social media feed. They're have to, going to have to come to yours. So, <laughs> so you know, and it's, I always tell people it's not, you know, there are egomaniacs out there. There's no question. But it's not necessarily egotistical mm -hmm. to want to build up who you are and what you represent. So mm -hmm. I think, uh, 
you know, wanting to, you can certainly over promote yourself. Uh, I, we, I, I kid pastors, we call it under bragging. You'll see a pastor who will say on social media, oh, praise God, we had 7,000 cars in our lot this Sunday. It was, you know, <laughs> he's, he's patting himself on the back. We get that. <laughs> Trying to be cool. But so you don't have to overdo it. But I think calling attention to things you're doing, things you're accomplishing. I just wrote a book, so I want to talk about that on social media. Mm-hmm. But I kind of do it in a way that shares insight from the book with people. So I just still say, hey, I, I did a new book, go buy it. I'll say, look, I just did a new book and I, in one of the chapters I talk about what happens in a crisis. How do you deal with communication mm-hmm. at your church or your ministry in a crisis? And here's three tips I gave. So suddenly you're helping people, but you're still drawing attention to the fact of the book and maybe they'll think, you know what, I need to, that sounds good, I need to get that book. Yeah. So there's so ways you can, you can help people, give them nuggets of insight, give them ideas, share your knowledge and still, you know, make them want to come and get more. So I think it's not necessarily egotistical. Um, if you, it, you know, I, I often say out of 10 posts, I'll do two or three posts about what I'm doing and six or seven posts about helping other people, you know, saying, mm-hmm. saying things that will help them and maybe saying two or three things out of 10 that will help me. So you can get out of balance, but if you're, if you're doing that, I think it really makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And one theme I noticed as you were just sharing that yeah. is, it's about advancing God's kingdom, but yes. helping others. You're yeah. adding value. You're helping solve a problem. You're helping meet a need. So true. So true. And, and I, we're here at the National Religious Broadcasters Conference, and the number of people, it's amazing. I've had six or eight people that have come up to me in the hallway and just say, hey, I follow you on social media, and I'll tell you, you completely helped me change the direction of my church, mm. or you gave me some insight that really helped me with my career. And that's what you want to hear. Yeah. You know, you don't want people to come up to you and say, you're an egomaniac. I, I hate you. You want people to come up and say the <laughs> insights and the things. Now, I will say this. If you follow me on, on Instagram, whatever I say, disregard when it comes to my Instagram feed, because I just have fun with that. So my Instagram feed is a little insane and I have a lot of fun with that. But generally speaking, I really enjoy when people come up and say, I read this or I saw this that you posted and it really meant a lot to me or my ministry. So. Yeah, you're right. That's the key. That's the key is what can we do to help other people mm, and point so them good. to Jesus. That's that's incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I used to uh, I used to see this pie chart and yeah. it would kind of say you should be 60, 70 percent of, you know, your content, whatever that's about. And then like maybe 10 percent personal and then yeah. maybe 20 percent. This is there still kind of a, a formula or you know, what do you what do you think that's about a that? good question and I think everybody's a little different I'm a little flexible with that I'm not a pie chart guy I'm a little more flexible with that and I think the key is understanding whatever you can post that will help people that's my priority so I want to mm-hmm. insight quotes I mean I, I mean think about it for a minute there's a lot of people out there I, I deal a lot of the issues I deal with is how to lead creative people I, I'm I, I've been a filmmaker and a media producer for years and years and years we've shot we produce programming in more than 60 countries around the world so I've been leading teams for a long time particularly filmmakers artists writers camera operators lighting people and so I've learned a lot over the years about how to lead creative people and what I find in churches and ministries they don't get it they don't really understand how to motivate and inspire creative types there's got there's a lot of great leadership material out there John Maxwell and others are great with leadership stuff but not much information on leading creative people so I'm gonna start with trying to give people nuggets that would help them help give them insight into leading creative artists whether it may be designers or writers or video people web designers whatever 
So I'm going to throw nuggets out there and try to help them. And I'm going to drive them to my books or my blog because they're going to get more information there because I'm writing on my blog all the time about these kind of subjects. My books are about that kind of stuff. So I'm going to push them in a direction where they can go deeper. My podcast, I do a podcast, and, and I'm talking about these things, this intersection of faith, media, and culture. And so anybody that's interested in sharing their faith in today's world, that's, that's going to help them. So I throw stuff out that will help them, but at the same time, I want to drive them to things I've done that would give them more information, help them go deeper. So I think if you do, do that, you're pretty safe. It's not about, you know, I'm not doing the Kim Kardashian thing about here's a shot of me getting out of a car. Um, I don't think that's going to help very many people, but if I can really give them more information that'll help take their life to a next level, I think that's a really good thing. So it's not a pie chart mostly, but I I would just say err on the side of helping them more than helping you. Hmm. Okay. So you've convinced me, you've convinced the listener. Okay. We're going to use social media. Yeah. Now what? So do which which platform do we choose? Great. Do we choose, uh, do we choose a a personal page do we yep. you know or we've already have something going do we and it's personal now do we segue that into a, a business or a ministry page How, what do they do it's a great question and, and I, I would say certainly if you're not on social media right now don't feel like you have to be you know you don't have to be on social media to be successful there's plenty of super successful people that aren't however I would encourage you to dip your toe in and try it and if you are on social media and you're not getting results think about this first of all Every social media platform has a certain type of audience. What I've discovered over the years is that Twitter, for instance, is largely leaders. Pastors are there. CEOs are there. Uh, a lot of political dialogue goes on on Twitter. So if you're looking for that sort of thing, if you're a leader and you're into that sort of thing, I, I find Twitter is really big on that. Instagram is a younger, probably hipper crowd, a more creative crowd. Facebook is a little more family and friends. You, you get a little mixture of a lot of stuff on there, but it's a little more family and friends. Pinterest, you could just go on and on. Every, every different platform has a different type of audience. So what I try to do is, you know, there are programs like Hootsuite, so you can post something once and send it everywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't like to do that very much. I'll do it occasionally, but I don't like to do it a lot because I know those are different audiences. So how I approach my leadership crowd on Twitter will be a little bit different than how I approach my Instagram crowd because they're a little more creative, a little younger, a little off the wall. And I, also, I often get my best responses usually on Instagram. Uh, I'll get more responses. I'll get more likes and things like that. Facebook is pretty good. I, Facebook drives me nuts just the way they operate. And, you know, I just, I just want to shoot myself sometimes on Facebook. <laughs> but uh, that, that's life. That's life out there. And, and the other thing is to understand, don't get so obsessed with social media that you don't have time to do anything else. You know, I have to write books. Mm-hmm. I have to write scripts. I'm producing TV programs. I'm consulting with clients. So I have to be really careful. That's a, I'll tell you, that's constantly scrolling through Instagram. You can get addicted to that, and suddenly an hour goes by, and you're looking at what people are saying. So you have to be very disciplined about it, I think, if you're going to use it effectively. You have to be really disciplined. And um, so I think that's the place. Understand who's where. Start kind of focusing your content, your ideas on that audience. And then, and, and here's the thing, I would pick two, maybe three platforms and, and I, I'd hold it at that. I, I think my, my three would be Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And those are the ones I concentrate on the most. I don't do, I started a Pinterest page, but I don't do it. I started a TikTok page, but I don't really keep up with it. However, my son-in-law, Chris, is an actor. He's uh, part of the Groundlings Theater Company in Hollywood. They're the guys that feed the Saturday Night Live cast, and they do amazing stuff. And he got on TikTok just about two months ago, and it just blew up. He does comedy stuff on TikTok, and he, it just blew up. And he's gotten more than, I mean, he's got 
tons, hundreds of thousands of followers. And so TikTok works for him. It's not going to be mine. I mean, I'm older. It's not going to be my thing. But the secret is find what works for you. Try different things on different platforms. And you'll, you'll find a, a mix that seems to work. And I would really go. And the other thing, too, is you don't have to post all the time. I try to post two or three times a day. Part of that thinking is I want people to regularly be expecting my stuff. I want to be, you know, in expectation for what I might say about this or that. And so I'm, I'm kind of posting on a regular basis. And, and the other thing, too, is think of the virtuous circle of what you do. I, I, my blog is probably the most important thing I do. So I'll write a blog post. I'll share it on all my social media things. Then I'll send it to people I know. If I write a post, particularly on creativity, I'll send it to the most influential people I know in the creative world. And I'll say, hey, would you mind sharing this on your, your, your post? So suddenly my articles are being shared all over the place in the exponential nature of social media. You can blow up pretty quickly. So if you're just more strategic, sit down, think about what you're doing, it, that can make the ultimate difference. Wow. I just heard the, the B word blog that seems so <laughs> it, it seems so antiquated yeah no it is but does, it, it, does it still work does well it, i mean is it relevant now i'm an or? obsessive writer so i can't help it i've written seven books and i've written hundreds of movie scripts and tv commercials and things like that so i, I can't help it but I, for me you know i can't i can't not write so i yeah. have to do it and uh, what it does for me is it gets my thoughts down, gets me thinking and focused on certain issues. I'll go to a client meeting, for instance, and I'll see something they do that drives me nuts. I'll come back and write a little blog post about that issue. Or I'll go on a project that we shoot somewhere and I'll see something and I'll come back and write about it. So and the interesting thing about my blog is I take my blog topics and I'll make podcast episodes about it. So then I'll get in front of a microphone and a camera and I'll do a podcast episode about it. I'll also use it on my social media platforms. So, and, and even my book, Maximize Your Influence, my new book that just came out, probably 40% of that book was blogged before it became a book. So I instantly started going through my blog thinking, okay, when it comes to digital media and churches and how they use it, what have I written in the past that would be relevant for this moment? So I started pulling all that in. Lo and behold, I had 40% of my book done. So I started editing that, cleaning it up, then adding additional stuff. And before long, I had a book. I'm writing a new book right now on how to be creative on a deadline. You know, so often many of us, like you guys, you have a podcast, you're doing creative stuff. You know, you got to hit your deadline. You've got to be on the air, no matter how much, how creative you are. Eventually, you've got to get it out there. And people really struggle with that. So I'm writing a book on that. And I probably came up with 50% of the book just from stuff I'd blogged about how to be how to be creative under pressure, how to come up with ideas on the clock, put that in. And so I'm working on that to be my next book. So my blog for me is kind of an R&D lab. I test out stuff, see what people think. And based on that, I, I go from there. That makes sense. Yeah. It's good stuff. Mm -hmm. So your book, Maximize Your Influence, uh, it came out in it came up in 2020. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> was that in response to COVID, yeah. or was that sort of just a God quote coincidence? That, uh, tell us about the. Time no, there. not at all. I recognized early on. I saw. You know, it's funny when COVID, the, the church shutdown happened. I thought we'd be out of business because we work with churches, and I thought, man, they're not going to have an income. They're going to get creamed. And uh, I realized, so I thought, what are we going to do? And I started going online and doing Zooms and teaching about how to maximize your live stream, how to make it better, how to connect with your congregation through other platforms. 
And I started realizing just how little pastors know about this. And while they may have a communication person at the church or a media person at the church, doesn't necessarily mean the pastor really gets it. So I thought, let me write a book that would be a manual. So as we emerge from COVID, a pastor would really have a reference book to understand how I should be thinking about my website, my short videos, my social media. What do we do in a crisis? You know, today in this digital world we live in, if you have a crisis, if, uh, a crisis in your church or your ministry in some capacity, how do you respond online? How, what do you do about it? What do you say about it? So I just started putting all that stuff together in one reference book so that when we emerged, pastors would have something. So about it, I published it probably two-thirds of the way. It hit the market about two-thirds of the way through the shutdown. So it was available for pastors. And I'm telling pastors today that as we emerge, as we get back into the building and we're gathering again, that doesn't mean we should let up the gas on our live stream. We still need to be thinking about our website, short videos, and how we use live streaming and social media and things like that. It's going to be more important than ever in this new world we live in. I mean, the truth is, the Apostle Paul used the technology of his day, which was letters, to build the early church. Mm. Then Martin Luther came along in the 1500s and literally invented what we know today as publishing. He became the most read author in the world of his time. And uh, he used the technology of his day, which is the printing press. And so for us not to use the technology of our day, this digital world, to share the gospel, I often tell people that the, by population, the largest country on the planet is Facebook. But, you know, who's sending missionaries to that country? Who's planning churches mm-hmm. in that country? And mm-hmm. so I think if people don't listen to anything else I say in this interview, I would love for churches to understand, let's stop thinking about missions just in terms of geographical boundaries and start thinking about missions in terms of digital boundaries. That's a cult, that's a country we need to be reaching and we need to have a strategy for doing that. And I think, you know, the digital tools we have, we have at our disposal can really help us do that. Wow. Wow. You know, so you're saying this is here to stay. We, we can't, oh, yeah. we're not going back to, we're not going to <laughs> right. back to normal right. life pre-COVID. So if you want to do ministry, if you want to do business, you need to learn this. Well, you know, not saying a pastor, not saying, I, you know, or, or let me put it this way. A pastor who says, I don't do social media today is like a pastor 10 or 15 years ago who says, well, I don't do books. I, I don't, I don't read books. I mean, that would be ridiculous. And so uh, to, to not be online, to not be doing social media would be just as ridiculous today. I just really believe that there's a, that, uh, you know, pastors are concerned about what's within the walls of the church. But a communication person is concerned about how that message gets beyond those walls. And I think with podcasting, with live streaming, with social media and so many other tools, I think we can just, uh, it's just interesting to me that a small church in the middle of nowhere can have a message that that reaches hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people today. So why not take advantage of that? Yeah. You know, there's a concept called evergreen. Yeah. And and for those producers, those content producers, you know, is there a secret to creating evergreen material? Yeah. Stuff that's relevant in 2021, 2022. What is, there what really is. There, that's a great question. And, and we've, we work with a ton of, of television ministries. I have over the years created some of the largest television ministries out there. And one thing we've learned is even the most hardcore viewers of your weekly television program only see it once or twice a month. Nobody's watching every single program. It's the same with your live stream. And so what we've learned is when you're replaying a TV program, you're not really rerunning it. You're playing it for the first time for 80% of your audience or your followers. So I've adapted that to live streaming, social media things as well. Nobody remembers what you preached six months ago or a year ago. So I always encourage pastors, take 
your best, you know, the, the sermons, the messages, the sermon series that people have responded to the best, let's put them on the shelf. And maybe a year from now, let's rerun that. Let's do it again. Um, and particularly during summertime when your attendance is probably low, your viewers are a little lower because people are on vacation. So I'm a big believer in rerun your material. Keep it evergreen, which means just don't be so topical as you normally would. Either don't be topical, or if you are, make sure you have somebody in your team who can edit that stuff out and make it a little bit more generic. But if, you're, if you preach or teach from a little higher vantage point and you're not talking about a specific thing that's happening right now, you know, you could talk about racism and that's gonna be relevant for a long time. But if you talk about a specific incident with the police or with somebody else, that might get old after a while because that time's gonna pass. You could talk about so many other issues. When you talk about forgiveness and other things, that could work, it doesn't matter when. So I do believe being evergreen is critically important. We've, we've worked with a lot of pastors and helped them develop literally a, a library, an online library and resource library of their material. So we've taken their messages from 30 years ago and compiled them, made them searchable, and people can search for issues about you know, revelation, forgiveness, family issues, finances, whatever, whatever they preached on over the last number of years to create an online library. So what a great legacy for a pastor or leader to leave. Love it. You know, before we kind of come to a, a close on this, I had a quick, quick question on, you know, for the, for the person who started media, okay, now they're on Facebook, they, they're creating content, they're sure. creating evergreen content. We want to make it easy to find. Yeah. But how do we begin to get to grow our audience? What beyond just making it easy? Are there certain tactical things sure. that we can do to to that's grow a, our audience? Good. Uh, the, well, it, that's a really interesting question because they're, they're, it's different with different platforms. I'll give you an example. Twitter is great. One of the reasons I've always liked Twitter a lot is that um, you know when when say, there's good the good and bad. And Twitter, I'll get a critic, for instance, if somebody doesn't like something I've posted, they'll 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 lash out at me, and before I respond. I'll always look and see what their following is. I got a guy rip, rip me the other day for something I said. I don't remember what it was. He was kind of ugly. And uh, I checked his followers before I responded. He only had four people following him. And so I'm thinking, why am I going to expose that, my 35,000 followers to this guy? And so, you know, because when you respond to him, suddenly all your followers see your response and they'll see his Twitter post, his name, Twitter name. But that's the negative thing. But the positive thing is you can also respond to leaders who have a big following. For instance, I responded once to Rick Warren. He, he said something that was really relevant. And I, I responded to him. And um, guess what? He responded back to me. That means his two, two and a half million followers saw at Phil Cook on his Twitter response. So I always encourage people, follow people you respect and you admire who have a big following and occasionally respond to them. And then when you do and they respond, if they respond back, they don't always because they got millions of followers. But if they do respond back, if they happen to see your post, suddenly all of their followers will see your name. And you'd be amazed at how suddenly your following starts getting jacked up because they'll think, hey, if this guy responded to him, maybe I should follow him. He must be pretty smart. So there's some things like that you can do that are very strategic. Uh, also, I mentioned earlier, have, just don't be afraid to ask friends, associates, other influencers, hey, would you mind following me on this? And if I, if you do it, write a book, if you do a, some big project, ask them to talk about it on their feed because suddenly it, it invites their audience to, to know about you, which makes a big difference. And you'd be amazed at the number of people that will come over and follow you. So it's not about just being, you know, manipulative, but it's about offering material that other people would really like. And of course, you, you know, when I send somebody my book, 
and I ask them to share about it on their social media feed, I want to make sure it's not embarrassing for them, that it's a good book, that you know they're going to be happy and proud to do it. So always think about honoring them because they're doing you a great favor by promoting your book, talking about your project, whatever it is you're doing. So just think about that circle of friends and influencers and how much they can help you. Because like I say, social media is so exponential. You can really generate a huge audience relatively quickly. And the last thing I would say about that, don't want to take too long, but is don't be afraid to be a little bit provocative. Mm. You know, so often as Christians, we have to, we feel like we have to be really safe. You know, I think mm. sometimes if I see another post of today is the day the Lord hath made, let us rejoice and be glad in it, I'll blow my brains out. I love scripture and I love posting scripture, but just these, you know, that's not a social media strategy. I think it's important that you understand I'm posting something and even when I, when I send a scripture out, I want to have a commentary on it. I want to say something about it that relates to what people are thinking and what people may be struggling with. So just really think in terms of having a strategy, not just posting whatever pops in your head. That's one of the things I hate about social media. Everybody has a voice and they feel like they should comment on everything. No, they shouldn't. Take your time, step back and say something important. And a lot of that is being provocative. It doesn't mean being a jerk, doesn't mean being controversial, but think of all the social issues that we deal with today and how often we could just say something that would make people think. Throw a bomb out there every once in a while that makes people think, whoa, I never thought of it that way. Mm. And that can make a huge difference for people. Mm. So good. So yeah. good. And I love how you said having a strategy. Yeah. And to that point here, kind of in conclusion, um, you know, media is a powerful tool. And so what are some suggestions on how Christians can kind of create a strategy to best influence and impact culture and, and the world? Great question. I wrote a book years ago called One Big Thing, Discovering What You Were Born to Do. And I, I've just met so many people in my life that are in their 60s or 70s or 80s and will say, you know, Phil, I've been successful or I've done this, but I never really felt like I discovered what God put me on the earth to accomplish. I'd say start by figuring that out. What are you here for? What did God put you on? You know, and it's not about passion. I learned long ago that it's not about passion. It's about what you're wired to do. I, I, I spent significant part of my career pr pursuing my passion only to discover that's not really what I'm good at. And I, I've, people, Christian, wonderful, well-meaning Christians will send me a screenplay, for instance, they've written, and they say, Phil, I'm, I'd like you to read my screenplay. I'm so passionate about it. And I want to say, yeah, but you stink at writing. You're terrible at this. And, you know, fi find out first what you're wired to do, what, what, what you're really good at doing. Be brutal. Be, you know, be tough on yourself. Figure that out. Once you figure that out, then start focusing everything in that direction. Make that the lens you view life through. Once you figure that out, then you're going to start getting more followers than you can think of. That's your strategy. Uh, for me, it's the intersection of faith, media, and culture. When I go on social media, I don't talk about recipes. I don't talk about sports. I don't talk much about politics. I'm talking about the intersection of faith, media, and culture. That's what I write my blog about. All my, my podcasts are about that. That's what I focus on. So people know that when they come there, that's what they're going to get. And so it sounds like I may be eliminating a big audience out there, but really by being amazing at that little niche, you're drawing people that, that are really into that. And I would rather, you, you'll, you'll just discover that you'll get known so much faster if you become the best in the world at this narrow niche than if you just try to be everything to everybody. That just, uh, that never works. So focus, focus, focus. Find out what God puts you on the earth to do. Be relentless about sharing that message. And that's how you'll get known. Absolute gold. Yeah. Maximize your influence is the book. Phil, how do people connect with you? How do people uh, find out more about your book, the different projects you're working on? 
Where can people uh, go? My, my website is philcook.com. I'm cook with an E, P-H-I-L-C-O-O-K-E. You can find me on social media at philcook. And really my blog at philcook.com is the hub of everything we do. So you can get my books there. You can see what I'm writing about there. Find out about my social media. Pretty much everything is at philcook.com. Thanks for asking. Wonderful. Phil, what an honor to have you on the, on oh, the show today. Fun. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Yes, thank you. 